business to help, as all of us have had at least some degree of, of trouble uh, with it specifically. And for those of you that um, maybe are here because you know people that are struggling or maybe know that you may run into people, we're hoping that you get some skills of how to, not just that you relate better to them, but if you are in the circle of someone that's having infertility trouble and you know better strategies, you can also help those around you to say, you know what, that was not an appropriate thing to say and let me tell you why. I learned that such and such and such. So we're hoping that this can be a little seedling of information that can spread out throughout our churches that people can be more sensitive to this that is a really serious and troublesome problem for a lot of people. Um, at this point, I'm just going to read the verse that's up behind me. There are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, four things say not. It is enough. The grave and the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith not. It is enough. Um, we don't have a ton of time today, so... Some of the things that are on the handout that you may or may not have seen coming in, um, you can get it on the way out. Uh, some of the things that we have are just informational to present, um, and some is more personal. So the informational stuff, we're just kind of going to run through. If you have questions about something that is unclear that we've stated, raise your hand. But otherwise, we'd rather keep all the questions till the end. Thanks. I'll turn it over to Amy Beth now that will talk about some facts. I just wanted to start off by saying that um, years ago I felt convicted to share this topic even before we had a resolution in our own life. And um, it's come to this today. And we just want to share with you some basic information. Um, the definition of infertility is the inability of a couple to achieve conception after one year of unprotected intercourse or the inability to carry pregnancies to a live birth. And there's, I didn't even realize it until we were struggling through this problem that there's two different kinds. Primary is when you've never had a child and that affects about 40% of these couples. And secondary, which is what our situation was, um, having at least one child but unable to conceive again, affects 60% of infertile couples. And like I said in the intro, it, um, across the US, about 15% of the couples have some degree of infertility. Um, and a lot of times, we think, oh, well, it's just a female problem, but I was also surprised to find out it's about half, 35% female, 35% male, 20% combined, and 10%, they just can't find a cause. Um, infertility in women increases with age, especially after 35, and I wasn't able to find any information about men, but I'm sure that there is a sloping down, too, but I, I don't know what the age is for that. And there are a lot of medical reasons for infertility, um, and a lot of these problems can be treated, whereas a few years ago, that was not the case. And Tom's going to run through some biblical examples of barren women. We just went through the Bible and looked to, for the list of all the women, uh, notable women that had trouble. I'll just read down the list here. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Samson's mother, Hannah, and Elizabeth. I'd like to read just a couple of verses from uh, 1 Samuel, which is probably the most heart-wrenching description of a woman that was infertile that we found in the Bible. So let me just read a few selected verses out of 1 Samuel 1. Don't follow along. Let me just read these 5 through 8. But Hannah he gave a worthy, but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she was up to the house of the Lord, she was so she provoked her, therefore she wept, 
and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, Why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? 10 and 11. And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. And she vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall be no razor come upon his head. Then 15 and 19. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to the house of Raymond. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Just to share a little background with our story, um, as most engaged couples do, you kind of talk about having a family. How many children would you like to have? And we kind of agreed three to four would be nice. And we were married a few years and we decided to start our family. And a few months later, we did become pregnant with Kelly. So then we just felt the relief, oh, everything's working. And you just kind of read that side because you never know until you actually are trying. And then um, about a year and a half later, we decided we'd like to have another child. And we quickly became pregnant. And then 10 weeks later, we had a miscarriage, which maybe some of you have too. Um, it's pretty common. And the doctor was very encouraging. He said, you know, this happens, I think, one out of four pregnancies. Um, just give your body a rest and you can try again, which we did. And then nothing happened um, for about a year. And this kind of started the roller coaster of emotions, especially for me. I mean, Tom went through st stuff too, but it was mostly on my end. Um, you go through this monthly, you know, up, hope, 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 and then down, downward spiral again when, when you get your menstrual cycle and you just think, okay, well, we'll try again next month and it goes up and down. And if you've had a miscarriage, that, that cycle can be extended because you think, okay, two, three months go by and you feel like you're safe or you've made it that far and then you can have a miscarriage. So it, the, the despair can be even worse then. We went through feelings like, why, why me, God? Uh, we've all asked that. Um, you feel like everyone's getting pregnant except for me. It just, I don't know, it just seems like it, and it just seems so real that you hear about so-and-so and so-and-so, and you feel like everyone is getting pregnant except for us. Um, you see every person that's pregnant in your It's magnified. Pregnancy. It's magnified. Oh, I work at the hospital, and they have um, you know, the Lamaze classes, and I, um, when I would go into work, I would see all the moms coming out with their pillows and their big bellies, and I thought, and it just was magnified to my eyes. Um, I felt, we felt, the grief over a loss that's not visible. It's hard because people don't know why you feel so sad because they can't see it. And it's very real to you though. Um, we also felt feelings of you don't feel whole in your masculinity or femininity. If, even though there's no real ca uh, reason behind that, it just, it does make you feel that way. Uh, we felt financial concerns um, going into a little bit later. I'm kind of skipping. When you go through testing, it's very expensive. Sometimes insurance companies cover the test. Sometimes they don't. Uh, and it, you can rack up bills very quickly. Um, there's also a time commitment to being tested and being treated if that's the route you go. It's, um, the, 
the timing of tests is very awkward times, and um, especially once we, we had Kelly, so it's, we had arranged babysitting, very strange times, so it, it just becomes an added stress. Um, those were kind of the emotional strains that we were feeling, and then we, it went into spiritual, like you feel guilty for not feeling joyful. I remember going to a forum where we, that we talked about joy, and one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy, and I just, I did not feel that. Um, you also feel guilt about that you should feel content with what you have. Be content in the Lord, and I really struggled with that. Especially having had one child. Yeah. Like, you know, you just feel like, well, I have one, I should be happy, but you want another one. Um, feeling deserving of a child. Like, you watch the news, and you see how much abuse is going on out there, and how teens can have babies and they just do all kinds of things and you know that you would be a good parent and you just feel like you're almost justifying yourself with God. Um, feel lack of control of your own destiny. You're just um, With me, I felt like it was harder than repentance because with repentance, at least I could say, all right, I want to do this and this and this and the Lord's going to help me. And this, you just, you feel like you have no control over what's going on. And I felt it difficult to trust God with my future. I felt like I knew what I wanted, and I knew what my vision was for our family. And it, you know, God couldn't know what, couldn't um, have a better plan for me. I just felt like I was struggling with Him. So the spiritual, the spiritual strains were there too, and also with friendship, um, you go through feelings of isolation where you, you find it hard to talk to someone who's going, who has gone through the same thing. Or you don't fit in with peers, like we belong to a couples group that we go to and they would all be talking about the children and even though we had one, it just felt like, I don't know, that they, like we didn't quite fit in at that point. And um, something that I really struggled with was not being able to reach out to other people's need. I felt like I was in a survival mode, like somehow keep my emotions intact because anything could just set me off and just make me fall apart. So that was... I felt like I just couldn't reach out to other people at that time, and then I felt guilty about that. Um, Dennis and Linda now are going to talk about some of the marital strains that infertility can cause. I'd like to share with you uh, our particular situation is we experienced three miscarriages before our Ashley was born. Uh, one while we were still in California, and then uh, when we had moved to Connecticut, uh, we had two ensuing miscarriages and it was tough you know it's uh, something you all of a sudden have uh, something in your life that you're looking forward to with great anticipation and then you simply you know accompany your wife into a regular doctor's visit and they run the first uh, sonogram and the doctor who does the uh, sonogram, says, excuse me a minute, and goes and gets one of its associate, his associates, and they come back in, and they confer together, and when you went in, I'm just joyful, this is exciting, what are we going to learn today? And they tell you, we think you've lost the baby. And those of us that have gone through that, it's like getting kicked in the stomach. I don't know any other way to I explain it. Um, Thankfully, our particular situation was uh, able to be corrected surgically, but there are some things that we um, had to go through through that process that uh, 
at times made it a challenge with our relationship. Um, you know, we, we wrestled with some of those same feelings. You know, what does God mean by this? Uh, does God want us to serve him just as a husband and wife? And is that the extent of it? Um, and, and Linda had some, some fears and concerns also. One of the fears that I had was um, not so much with not having children. I had a career that I could, you know, throw myself into at that point in time. But I was looking down the road. I kept thinking, you know, when I get old, I need a family there to, to be with, to take care of me. I mean, I had those nurturing feelings where I wanted children at that point in time, but I thought, you know, if it's God's will, I can really get through this by just throwing myself into my career. But the one thing that really stood out to me was fear of growing old without family, children to take care of me. And, you know, it's interesting how even though we are children of God, you know, Satan has no mercy. And he's going to look for any avenue he can come in and try to uh, bring a wedge into a relationship. Uh, you know, one of the things we struggled with is uh, I'd like to think uh, that I tend to be perhaps uh, sensitive as a man. Uh, but Linda and I, we struggled with at times really being able to connect as to where we were both coming at from emotionally. I mean, I knew these accounts in Scripture that, that Tom shared with us. I mean, I knew them backwards and forwards. And I don't know if it was because of lack of sensitivity, um, ignorance, immaturity. Uh, sometimes I would look at those Scriptures, and I'll be very, very honest with you this morning. I would look at some of these, these women in Scripture and simply think that they were whiners. And why don't you just accept what God has in store for you and be content? Well, you know, as sensitive as we might be and as empathetic, uh, until you are in the shoes of that other person, even if it's your wife, um, we cannot fully appreciate those God-given emotions and feelings of fulfillment that only can be, it appears, you know, filled by that aspect. Another area in which... Um, we had difficulty understanding each other's feelings and it put a strain on our marriage was um, the fact that for some reason Dennis did not understand this need that I had to have children. He, I think he almost felt like um, I should have been fulfilled or satisfied in our marriage alone, that he should have been enough for me. Why did I need, you know, children to fulfill the rest of me and I think just um, I didn't communicate to him well enough that it's just a, a God-given aspect of a woman that she needs to love and hold a baby and just it's just an emotion that I think women have and it was just I think that put a riff in our marriage just trying to get that um, aspect across to him and I obviously did not make that very clear <laughs> well and I think too is uh, you know 
men, generally speaking, we have a, a quick fix for everything. And I said, well, well, we'll do this and just move on. And it's not that way always. Uh, you know, we wish it was. We, we try to make it be so, but that's not the case. Um, and so, you know, we, we dealt with that. And so it was like, well, what's the next step? What do we do? And we even wrestled with that. Um, you know, are we going against God's plan for our lives? Is this something that we want? Is this something, you know, and are we going ahead of God or are we going against God? And, uh, you know, that, that too, you know, kind of, I was, I was more apt to simply resign ourselves to the fact, this is what God has in store for us, now let's just move on with life. And God will bless, and so on. And yet, uh, but the scripture tells us where two or three, when two of you agree on one thing, that's what God binds. It's not when, when half of the partnership is convinced and the other half of the partnership isn't on the same page. God, I believe God will not, cannot bless that. But until you come to that mutual conviction by the leading of God, and then you go forward. We did end up going um, and getting medical treatment and we found out that um, the reason for my miscarriages was um, a medical procedure that was very simple to be fixed, and um, we went ahead and corrected it. Um, it was a difficult decision knowing exactly how far we wanted to go as far as the medical um, aspect of it, but I think God was faithful and he answered our prayers and made it a real simple decision. We both agreed on it and we went ahead and had the surgery done um, but while we were getting to that point I think Dennis had some struggles as far as the testing procedures and things like that right I didn't understand um, either I wasn't <laughs> listening which is probably a pretty good chance as to the methodology that needed to take place for this infertility specialist to, to try to ascertain what the problem was. And so he had to start at ground zero. And part of that, you know, was with conception and so on and so forth. And I resented that. I was like, that's not our problem. You know, where'd you get your degree from? And as, and as Amy Beth mentioned, you know, and it's not convenient. You know, the, the, the wife is scheduled for a doctor's appointment. He has to do certain things to, so he can do the testing. So certain things obviously have to take place. And I felt, maybe it's a good life, I felt used. I really did. It's like, mm -hmm. you're telling me when and how I have to have relationships with my wife? And I resented it. And I, I'll be honest with you, before God and you all, I mean, there was times, you know, there was resentment towards the doctor. There was resentment towards Linda. And, uh, but we got through that. And maybe it's because I had kind of already predetermined in my mind, you know, this is all the farther we go with it. And so I wasn't open and receptive as, as I needed to be to really hear what was taking place. Um, okay, uh, when is, as we were going through this procedure, uh, you know, we were asking each other, okay, if this doesn't work, how, how much further are we going to take this? And I think we, well, I had resolved in my mind that 
if I had gotten pregnant after the procedure and I had another miscarriage, that was going to be the extent of um, our seeking medical treatment. I just could not emotionally go through another one. And um, God was gracious. He gave us Ashley. And um, I think God knew how much we could take. And he said, okay. He gave us the desire of our heart. And, um, well, you can go ahead and yeah. say something. Sure. Well, you know, and even then, it was 15 years ago last night that Ashley was born. Wow. And I remember the excitement. And I couldn't wait to get to the phone to make some phone calls and let everybody know that I was a dad. And all of a sudden, the doctor literally grabs him by his sleeve and says, hold on a second, we've got a problem here. Because after Ashley was delivered, um, Linda had uh, difficulty with the afterbirth. And they had to take her into the operating room. And he says, I want you to understand if we're not able to take care of this, that Linda may have to have a hysterectomy. So here we go from the mountaintop to the valley, just boom, like that again. You know, and I just, I was, I was in a, I was dazed. I mean, part of me was in euphoria, my precious baby girl, and now it's like, now my wife is in jeopardy. And I wasn't even really thinking beyond that. And, but you know, thankfully they went in and, and things were fine. Um, and then since that time, God has blessed us with, with Hillary, and, and then we got our bonus baby, Kinsey, uh, further down the road. <laughs> we weren't expecting her. And, you know, God works in, in truly mysterious ways. And, and it's so hard when we're going through it to, you know, we say, we know the verbiage. God knows what's best. God's in control. But, you know, the words don't mean anything. It's, you know, it's in the heart, and it's the heart that's breaking, and, and but God knows that too. One of the things that I, I just want to say, as we were going through this, um, you know, it was hard, it was difficult, but looking back on it now, I can, I can say, you know, I know God made us go through this if it was only to help one person, and I am here <laughs> to help anybody We've been through it. We know what you guys are going through. It's tough. It's hard. But God is faithful. And um, I believe that he has made what was a hard situation into something beautiful. And I, I just, I believe we went through it to help others cope with it. I totally echo those feelings. Um, just to finish with our story, we went through this over a year long struggle and the only saving grace that was in my life was a, a verse that God just totally opened to me. I didn't search it out. Psalm 127 verse 3, low children are an heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. And when the devil got to me, I kept going back to this verse. And I didn't know how exactly the Lord was going to do this, whether it was going to be through adoption or having another child. But I just hung on to this. Um, our OBGYN referred us to an infertility specialist, and then we, we really took that to the Lord in prayer because 
you just don't know, should we go take this step? And Tom and I just felt that, we'd looked at it this way, we felt if we needed heart surgery, if our heart had something wrong with it, we would have it fixed. And we felt if there's something wrong that they can fix, we're gonna have that done. Um, so we, we spoke to the infertility specialist and um, we had a consultation and with, she said, we're going to get the testing done in one month. We're going to be done. We'll find out what's wrong. Both of you will be tested. And it was such a relief to someone to kind of come in, take charge, and say, let's get going with this. You've struggled a year and a few months. Let's get going. And with us, um, fortunately, God, like with you guys, was merciful and didn't let us struggle too long after that. We were treated for one month, and um, we got pregnant, and we had Kevin. And we, then we had a bonus baby, that's what we call Andrew, because we weren't expecting him either. Not that he wasn't desired, but we just thought, well, if we have two children, that, that'll be, we'll have to be satisfied. And we, we were blessed with another, we were so happy. Um, Tom's gonna go over some of the medical treatments, um, and including uh, adoption and the decision to remain childless as well. Again, I want to go through these kind of quickly, and if you want to talk to, about us, about anything in more detail, we can do that. Um, as you know, just by watching TV, there's lots of different medical treatments that are available for infertility these days. Um, and going through the list that I have behind me, uh, the first one is lifestyle changes. A lot of times there's just minor adjustments to lifestyle or things that, that you're doing that can uh, make a difference, and obviously that's the first line of approach. Um, but in many cases, that's, that's not enough. Um, artificial insemination is the next level where they're basically just doing a manic, manual um, mechanical insertion of, uh, of semen in, into the womb, basically. And um, that's something that is sometimes just a, a matter of um, a hostile environment that's created just for whatever reason that, that things are not able to pr uh, go through as they should. And so that's something that does help. Hormonal treatment is the next thing where basically, um, again, Sometimes there's various levels of hormones in the body that are not sufficient for whatever reason. Other times what they do is just artificially induce um, uh, the maturity of various eggs. And in many cases, it'll be numerous eggs. And in our case, how many? Um, three eggs were um, basically available after that first month. Um, <clears throat> One conceive, right. Um, next thing would be surgical correction, which um, Dennis and Linda talked about. And uh, there's, all, again, this, this starts to be a whole wide variety and a range of different things that can be done um, with various levels of success also. You know, certain things are, are low success rates, certain things are, are very high. So, um, but that's usually the next step. And obviously it's, again, a much more um, invasive thing than just having some injections. Um, number five is in vitro fertilization, where they actually mechanically remove an egg from the mother and take semen from the father and create a fertilized egg in a petri dish. Um, in many cases, what they do here is they take numerous eggs and they, they have multiple eggs that are at that point um, inserted into the mother, and they're hoping that one or two will take. And as in the case of the Macaulay, what are they? What are they? McCoys. McCoys. Um, seven took. And they're born again Christians, and they said, we'll take seven. We'll talk about ethical concerns in a moment. Uh, last thing that we have here <clears throat> is surrogacy. That is something that is kind of, um, it's not just, uh, it's not done that often, but it's something that exists. 
Uh, we're not saying that we're for it or against it, but there's a lot of concerns, and that kind of is, is a segue into ethical concerns. Um, first thing, uh, especially in terms of in vitro fertilization, when they insert multiple fertilized eggs that are basically growing embryos now into the mother, um, again, they insert sometimes five and seven, and uh, in many cases what they'll do is if five have implanted, they'll go and say, you know what, we're going to remove two or three of those. And when they see you remove, they're basically performing an abortion on those babies. Mm -hmm. And so as a Christian, um, what we need to under understand is that um, maybe you'll have to take the risk, so to speak, of saying, you know what, um, if you would go this route, understand that let's say they took seven eggs and all of them were fertilized. You need to understand, at least in my opinion as a Christian, all of those eggs, even though they can be frozen for a later date, need to be implanted. Whether you would say, we have seven now, we'll do four right now, and if they all take, we're taking four children right now, um, and three later. But understand that, that those are viable children, really, and they will need to be fertilized. And as far as Christians go, in my opinion, you cannot, a selective reduction is not an option for a Christian because it is abortion. Um, and that's number two there, disposing of embryos. You know, a lot of times, you really have to be careful and understand the nuances of what you're talking about. Amy and I both have medical backgrounds, so we understood most of the things. If you don't, you need to understand because sometimes doctors will reuse terms like um, disposing or even, even selective reduction, and you might not even know what that means, but understand what you're doing and get counseling from others that have been at least you know, uh, involved in some of these things so you understand what's happening and the ethical ramifications and implications of those things. Um, surrogacy, again, um, you could have a situation where um, one sister is fertile and another sister is not, and everything else is working, and a sister says, you know what, uh, I love you, my sister, I'm willing to take your egg um, that's been fertilized by your husband and carry that for nine months. We're not here to tell you that that is unethical. Um, I think that, that there's probably room for that in an understanding of Scripture for that to take place, but we have to realize with great caution that when a woman carries a baby, no matter where that baby comes from, there's a real profound attachment. We have to be real concerned about that. And even from another aspect, there's legal concerns as well. Um, there's rights and all kinds of things that, as you can read in the newspaper, that happen. So um, obviously, um, that's something that carries a great amount of concern, um, but it, it is an option that, that maybe would be available in certain circumstances. And I, I don't think I would rule that out personally. But obviously, you know, talk about. Came along quite easily for us. But that's something that I think that if you're in a situation like that, you, you kind of have to approach the Lord with that and say, is this your will? And you may find in your heart that that after praying and praying, Lord, take away my desire for children or for more children. If that doesn't go away, um, then you have to say, hey, maybe adoption is the route for us. And we'll turn that over to Marcus and Tina now for the next few minutes. Okay. <clears throat> As most of you know, we have been blessed abundantly by God. About, well, what was it, 13... Thirteen and a half years ago by now, uh, Tina and I were engaged, and Tina had a previous marriage before she came to the Lord. And one of the important things uh, that 
we realized relatively quickly was that from her first marriage, Tina didn't have any children. So it was already during our engagement time that we spoke about the possibility of adoption. Not, not necessarily what or how many or whatever, but basically the, the viability of adoption as a, a, a possibility. And so the, the, the seed was planted very early for the process that we went through later. But we were, my goodness, we, we, we lived in Switzerland for a number of years. And during, <clears throat> I don't even remember exactly how it happened. Maybe Tina knows the details. But we, we, we applied to be SOS um, foster parents. Just said, if you have a child that needs a home, we'll be glad to take it in on short notice. And one Saturday morning, we got a telephone call at 11 o'clock. We have a little two-year-old boy who desperately needs a home. Can he come to your place? And I said, just a minute, let me go get my wife. And so we talked about it. And about 30 seconds later, we said, yeah, sure, you can, yeah, OK, we'll, we'll do that. And only after we hung up the phone did we realize, wait a minute, first of all, we don't have <laughs> A crib. Secondly, we don't have a high chair. Thirdly, we don't have a car seat. And, and, and the list started growing and growing. And thank God for a couple that had three boys just across town, Jürgen, Esther, Humbert. We called them up. We told them what happened. And they said, come on over. Clean out our cupboards. You can have everything because our kids are already four and five years old. So we went over there. The only thing that David brought along was a high chair. That was his. And Jürgen Esther literally gave us everything. The only thing that we had to get Sunday morning was a bib. But other than that, we were, we were taken care of. God, God was just so good to us. Well, make a long story short, David was with us, I believe, 10 weeks. After eight weeks, his mother said, um, you know David's not going to be staying with you any longer. Wait a minute. This was a long-term relationship that the social worker asked us to get involved in. All of a sudden, I was the one that had the problem. Because we had spent eight weeks of our life attaching ourselves to this little boy, and he gets ripped out. We thought it was going to be maybe eight years or more. And I told Tina at that time, I said, Tina, if we ever do this again, the only way that we're going to do it is with a foreign adoption because I cannot even think of what it would be like to have to go to court to contest something like that. And so we put it on the back burner for a while. And I'm going to let Tina take over from here. Um, yes, although we'd spoken about it when we were engaged, it was still difficult. I mean, every month it was difficult. And we spent a long time really thinking about it. What are we going to do? Should we do this? Should, should we go for adoption? And in Switzerland, that, didn't, that wasn't really an issue as much. When we came to America, our life just changed a lot. There were different things going on, so it was on the back burner again. And then I was listening to the radio, and every now and then I'd tell Marcus, you know, there's an adoption event going on. It's, there's an information evening. It's here or it's here. And I knew she was up to something. <laughs> <laughs> of 
course he did. Um, usually he said, no, you know, I'm not really ready to do that. And I never pressured him because I knew that if it was going to happen, it was going to happen because we were both ready. Because to go through everything to adopt, you need each other's strength. Um, there are financial considerations to adoption. You know, we'd already decided it was, for us it was international, but it could also be a domestic adoption. There are not just the financial considerations. You are inviting someone into your home who gets down to a very personal level. We had a social worker. We were rejected because we couldn't agree on discipline. We couldn't agree with her on discipline. We couldn't, she, she told us she rejected us because we would not promise never ever to spank any child. Well, that was a promise we couldn't make. We didn't want to compromise our faith and make a promise that we may not be able to keep just to have a child. But that was a difficult decision. Um, a couple of years later, we, that really hurt, to be rejected as a parent before you even get there. A couple of years later, we were looking for a new agency because you have to go through an agency if you're doing an international adoption. And while I was looking at the agency, I saw a photo of the girls who are now ours, and I knew they were my daughters, just as much as if I had born them. I'm going to take over for just a sec here. Um, Dennis, I can relate. I had the sensitivity of a barn door sometimes. It was, it was something that I, as a man, just did not understand. I simply did not understand. Guys, be sensitive. Be awake and be ready to listen to what really matters to your wives. There's, there's a couple of things that stand out in my life that teach me over and over again how small I am, how weak I am, and that's my sensitivity to my wife. I, I stand here today to say that despite me, God has blessed us. He's blessed us richly. Look at our beautiful girls. We can boast about it. We can, we, can, we can tell others about it because it has absolutely nothing to do with my gene pool or hers. <laughs> but in essence, God has given us the gift of being the caretakers of these children, the mommy and the daddy of these children for a few short years. We didn't have the opportunity to, to hold the baby. But you know what? We didn't have to change poopy diapers either. <laughs> it's a little bit silly, but in essence, right now, we have no longing for an infant. We're planning on doing this whole thing again. We're looking forward to number four and number five. And we would encourage everybody who, who is against abortion, and I mean everybody who's against abortion, to seriously consider adoption as your answer to abortion. If we're against something that vehemently, then I think that we as Christians should have an answer to it. Okay. I think I'm ready again. Um, in our case, infertility was not resolved. 
infertility as it's considered the inability to carry a child to birth. However, what has been resolved was our ability to have children. And even going through the problems with social workers and everything, we today can say we were not really rejected because the social worker didn't like what we said. We were rejected because the children that God had ordained for our family were not ready for us to adopt them yet. coping mechanisms uh, that we can all work with. Uh, obviously, prayer is essential, and if I can just, I, I need to interject. At the time, Lynn and I were in Connecticut, <laughs> and my shepherd brother, Johnny, and Mary Lou, and Lynn and I, we met together one night. Lynn and I were so despondent, and I called Johnny up, I believe it was on a Sunday morning, said, we need to come down and talk. And we went down one late Sunday afternoon, and we retreated down to the basement there in Johnny and Mary Lou's and just poured out our souls in prayer to God. And I will never forget, as we concluded, and Johnny remarked, he says, I cannot wait to see how God answers our prayer. And so we affectionately refer to, to our Ashley as our prayed-for baby. And it's just it's crucial. And I look back on that, I reflect on that, and I would encourage you, Pick Ebenezer's in your life, as insignificant as it may seem at the time, but if God's in it, it, it it's worthy of our reflecting upon and giving him the glory. Um, and then, you know, just as difficult it is, try to remember, you know, God truly is in control of it. Yeah. He really is. Another coping mechanism that I found was very helpful was the church fellowship. Um, there was a sister in our church in Connecticut who had gone through the same ordeal that we were going through, and I just mm -hmm. clung on to her, and she was my support group. And so I would just say that find someone that's gone through it. I'm sure we're more than willing to help you go through it. Um, look at the scriptures. Um, you'll find that you're in good company there. There's a lot of women that have gone through the same thing. And the last is have good communication with your spouse. And that was one of the things that we struggled with and that I think caused a lot of um, problems within our marriage at that point in time. But just communi communicate and men try to be sensitive to us. I mean, right. it's, it's hard sometimes for us to express what we're going through. I mean, at that point in time, I didn't even know what a lot of the feelings I was dealing with. But looking back on it now, um, Communication is vital to this. Point, point number, uh, letter G, the stronger at the time should carry the weaker. I remember going through this, um, even though I definitely had my own struggles, I would say probably on average, I was a stronger one most of the time. But one of the things that, uh, As you can tell, it's, it's never far away. It's never it's, far away. There had been times previous in our marriage with different circumstances that she really had carried me through, and I knew that I had to be strong. And I was able to do it with God's help. <clears throat> if going for treatment, go as a team. Don't play the blame game. 
probably the worst thing you can do is start to, you know, as you may find out that, uh, oh, she's got the problem or I've got the problem, is to, even if it's in your mind, I mean, forget about openly blaming your spouse one way or the other, but to even in your mind allow yourself to be angry at them about that, it's going to come out. And you have to really struggle and go to the Lord and say, this is not something that, that has happened to her because of whatever reason. You gave this to her for a burden for us to carry. And that's how you have to view it. Um, information. Knowledge and understanding of the situation gives a sense of control. It's important to read, find websites, talk to people. We, I'm sure, all here, we have email addresses. We are happy to dialogue with you regarding any level of uh, depth that you want to go into it with us. We're happy to talk about it. As you can tell, we're passionate about it because it is profound. Um, sharing with close friends and family goes without saying. Appropriately timed humor. There's times where you have to laugh about it and, and find some humor because you'll go nuts otherwise. Take an occasional break from the burden, thoughts, or the work process of infertility. Um, there's times where you just have to say, you know what, this month we're just not going to do anything. We're not going to do a lot of times and temperatures and schedule. We're just going to have a regular month and let the chips fall where they may. And support groups and counseling um, within your fellowship, within church, um, and maybe even counseling with your ministers or maybe even a professional. There's professional um, fertility counselors. Um, go where you, where you need some help. And now we're going to finish up quickly, if we can, with um, not helpful and helpful things in terms of skills to help infertile, infertile couples. Um, relax. Come, just relax. And you'll have children. Look at us. We have eight. We just relaxed. I'm sure if you haven't heard it already, you will. And it is perhaps the most frequent and one of the most profoundly annoying things to hear. Because when you're in the situation for six months or a year or longer, it is impossible to relax. And relaxing really from a physiological point is not really an issue. Um, be patient. Don't worry too much. Yeah, thanks for the help. Maybe you two are doing something wrong. <laughs> Accept that it's as God's will. That's, I mean, coming from maybe someone that isn't fertile themselves, you could maybe handle that. But even then... That's a tough thing to hear. Um, everything's going to be okay. Rosie? I don't think so. I know how you feel. And again, if it's coming from a couple that struggled, maybe. But even then, even then, every couple is individual. And for us to go up to you if you're having trouble and saying, I know, you know what? I don't know how you feel. Because you've got different twists and turns in the situation. I really don't. So that's almost never a good thing to say. Complaints about having and raising children. Quick story. Um, a mother, we had Kelly at the time, but a mother was struggling with her young son to get him strapped into his stroller, and he was fighting it, fighting it. And she turns to me and says, you don't want to have a boy. I really had to physically restrain myself from either shaking <laughs> her or backhanding her. And I'm telling you, I'm not a violent person, but it struck me so profoundly and made me so mad. I mean, I can still feel it right now as, as I hear that. Bragging about how, you know, you say, well, you know, we're, some people will say, well, you're going to have some children. Well, we're kind of waiting and hoping. And, oh, you know, my husband has to look at me cross-eyed and I'm pregnant. You know, that's helpful. Thanks a lot for that <laughs> advice. Making surprise pregnancy announcement. There are times where um, if someone is struggling, 
you really have to be cautious with how you tell them that someone else is pregnant. Mm -hmm. It's just a tough thing. Old wives' tales and unsolicited advice. You know, you're better off just saying, you know, I'm praying for you guys. And the last thing is silence. Pretending that the problem doesn't exist is not good either. Um, and just at a point of that, there's a letter that's with the handout that we got off a website that addresses a lot of these things. And it's powerful in suggesting that, you know, when you're in a state of struggle like this, you're very fragile. And there's times where people that are trying to help you, they almost don't know what to do. And you have to understand that it's very tough and trying to help someone is not easy. Um, in terms of helpful, uh, the segue, I guess, is, I've already said, I'm praying for you that God will carry you through. Whatever, whenever you want to talk, I'll be here for you. Acknowledging your friend's pain or their loss is real and pervades every aspect of his or her life is important. Hugs and touch, nonverbal support is critical. Listen, listen, and listen, even if it doesn't even make sense logically. Just listen. It's important for people to vent in this situation. Be the giver in the relationship. Again, be willing to accept an unbalanced relationship with this friend. And it might be long term, but it's tough. But please do it if you can. Realize your infertile friend may, be struggle, uh, may struggle being around pregnant women, babies, baby showers. It's like um, sometimes people think, you know, being around babies is going to help or going to a baby shower together. It's tough. It may help, but not necessarily. It's just tough. Um, appropriately timed humor we mentioned before, giving accurate information related to infertility from books, magazines, and that's something that, that does help. And you don't have to give a big speech, say, you know what, I just saw this article, here's a copy of it. Leave right. it at that. Mm -hmm. um, we're basically done. Time is, is long gone. If you have some I, points or questions, if you need to leave, we understand that as well. But if you want to come up to us, day and a half left at camp, please do it. <laughs> yes. Ten years mm -hmm. she waited. Yeah. For the tape, I'll just say that um, your daughter Beatrice for 10 years struggled and struggled and struggled <laughs> and finally decided we're going to adopt. And they adopted a beautiful daughter and after that had two sons on their own.